So the, uh, we get to the third chapter of Lamentations, so the third lament. And it's the center of the book. In the center of the center of the book is the passage where we actually get the, from the hymn, which we'll close tonight with, Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? And so the idea for the Christian when, when we sing that, or a lot of times we take that uh, passage and we take it out of Lamentations. And I don't mean we twist it, but, you know, it's, it's a long chapter, right? But we'll, we'll take it out of it. We'll put it on a t-shirt. We'll put it on a coffee cup. And your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, right? And we'll think, that's great. And we'll sing the song, the, the hymn. Um, and, and, and just imagine, though, somebody drags themselves into church um, some weekend, or, and they, they, they come in in the first song, and they're just a mess. They haven't been in church forever. They don't even know if they believe in God anymore. They're, they're just like, I, I need something, right? And they walk into church, and the first song they sing is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Right? And you can imagine this person, they'd just be like, oh, these people are obviously in a very different season than me. If they're on a mountaintop singing, great is your faithfulness, mercies are due every morning, and I'm in here just like a sludge, like really? <laughs> I don't feel anything about faithfulness right now, right? And, and, and might, they, they might even want to leave because they feel like they're just in this pit, this darkness, and everyone else is singing great is thy faithfulness. Well, that's why we want to look at this passage in context. It's in the middle of some of the hardest verses, some of the lowest of low. It's in that, that dark pit that, that the, the writer, the man who writes this, looks up and desperately, desperately sings, great is thy faithfulness. That's the context of this that we want to see. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and, and, and we think of this time and this time together that you have given us. I thank you for every single person who's in this room, Lord. We're from different walks of life and different paths, but here we are tonight, Lord. And God, it's for a purpose. Maybe that purpose was to hear from First Peter. Maybe it's to sing one of those or all of those songs. or Maybe it's to learn to lament from your word. And I pray that you would teach us, including me, our heart, from yours, your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll put it on the screen, but you can go to Lamentations chapter 3. Every chapter is a different lamentation, and uh, this one is 66 verses long. Who's with me? <laughs> I know. I, I, you know, I had originally intended to be like, we, we can't do that. So, my origin, original intent was like not to do that. But then when I studied that, I realized, you know what? It's actually in, uh, three times longer in verses than any of the other laments, but it's about the same size, even shorter in actual length. The verses are much shorter for whatever reason in this third lament. So we can do it. Uh, You've got to let the poem wash over you. It's meant to help us feel, right? And, and so uh, you can turn there, but we'll, we will put it on the screen. And we'll, we'll go mostly quickly, except for when we get into the middle there that I just referred to, right? So uh, I just want to take a second just to um, just continue in prayer. We, we are so thankful for the amount of the, the people who have had to really step up. Uh, 
you know, I think of like Brian Hava, who's had to lead worship like every week because Lauren's been out, and uh, people in the back because Steve and Jess have been out, and and uh, uh, worship team, everyone's had to kind of step in, and all different kinds of, of roles. I texted Pastor Bob, uh, I think, week, a week and a half ago, and said, sometimes I'm like, you remember that he's a huge film buff, if you don't know, that's why he's the angry curmudgeon, he loves to act, uh, that was his first love, and so he knows every film, and I'm like, you know that scene in It's a Wonderful Life, when, when like, he just desperately, instead of going on his honeymoon, he keeps the building and loan open? Sometimes I feel like that's what we're doing with the church right now. Just keep it open. And uh, he actually texted back this long, amazing symbol. This is who, I mean, it was, I'll have to share it sometime. It was incredible. I didn't think it that deeply. I was just thinking, oh my goodness. So, uh, but just be, just, we're just so thankful that we have so many people who can step in. Um, Elaine on drums right now, and Xavier and keyboard tonight, and Liz and Brian. So uh, thanks to all of you. Keep praying. We're getting people off the DL uh, little by little, so that's good. Um, so the, the, the context of this, of course, we have seen in the first two laments has been uh, sort of back and forth between the poet who it, it usually talks in third person, right, and, and sometimes refers to a, um, a personified Jerusalem, the daughter of Jerusalem, right? And that's kind of what the, 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 the laments have been, who has spoken in these first two laments. The third one is different. It's first person, and he just calls himself the man, right? The poet is just the man. In a lot of ways, uh, people, that's why some people think this was written by Jeremiah, because there's some commonalities with the man and Jeremiah, as we'll see. But we don't, we don't know that, right? So it was either Jeremiah, the prophet, or someone who lived kind of in the same time period, right? And if, if you've been with us, we, we've been talking. The context is after Babylon just ravaged Jerusalem and Judah. The, the temple is gone. The sanctuary is destroyed. People are exiled. All the soldiers are just dead. They're like, it's destitute. It's, it's as bad as it can get, right? Thus, the response to God is, I know we've sinned. We saw confession in the first one, but this is too much, God, what is this? You've completely turned your back on us. You've abandoned us, right? And so the, the, a lot of that happened in the first two. But um, as we get to this one, the man is sort of first person. So he's given his, uh, his view, his feelings as, as all of this carnage is in front of him. Okay? But he also, even though he's an individual, he represents the whole. Again, kind of like what we've seen in the first two words. He's, he's experiencing this, first person, but he's also, uh, he's, he's really voicing something that everyone's experiencing. And that's why Lamentations is so good for us right now, because we're all experiencing stuff, right? And, and it's unique, we're all individuals, but there's a lot of commonality in our frustrations and our fears and our tired exhaustion, right? And, and so we can lament together. Right? And, and so th- th- this is uh, how he begins. And, and really, this first part um, is, we're going to go kind of quickly through it. it it's it's, it's going to remind you of the first two uh, laments, if you, saw, if you were with us during those, that, that it's like, um, it's really ugly. <laughs> like it's, it's the description. He uses so many like rapid fire, different metaphors to describe how he's feeling in comparison to what the Lord has done. And, and you're going to notice until verse 18, he doesn't even use the name of God. You see, he says that I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. 
Right? So he's talking about God, but didn't even use his name. And that's on purpose. It's, a, it's like, I'm talking about God, but I can't even say his name. Like, he so abandoned me that, that I'm, he's just his, right? And, and so he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and, and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand. And again and again the whole day long. This is actually shepherd imagery. How many of you remember the Psalm 23rd? It's one of the, probably heard it, you know, at a funeral or uh, read it, I'm sure, many times. Um, and so in that is that beautiful image of God as our shepherd, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A staff, another thing given to me, is a gift by Scott Brundage. Anything a large animal, Brundage is my guy, right? And uh, he, he gave this to me. He didn't give this to me. This is just a baseball bat. But, right, this is kind of, a little bit shorter, what a rod was. And so the shepherd would guide with the staff and, and do a lot of stuff with the staff, but the, the, the rod, right, was to, to protect the sheep. So if an enemy wolf or something came, the shepherd, that's why it's a comfort. When God in his staff comforts us, he's warding off our enemies, right? He's, 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 he's smashing anyone that comes near us. And so that's a huge comfort if we are the sheep. But here he reverses it. He reverses that imagery and says that instead, the, the, it's the same word, rod, but now it's God's wrath, and he's actually beating the sheep, right? He's turning around all day long, and now you're the sheep, and instead of him comforting, protecting you, he's smashing his rod of wrath upon you. This metaphor is uh, gruesome, and it, and it just gets worse as... Uh, You've, you've seen in the first two. Now he, he uh, changes in starting verse four. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. What's he describing there? Like a coffin. A long ago coffin. Like, have you ever been to a cemetery and you see like a, a gravestone, it's overgrown, you can't even read the name anymore. It's been there so long. He's like, that's what God has done to me. I'm like in that dark coffin under the ground, completely forgotten. It just keeps getting worse, you watch. <laughs> Verse 7. He now changes the imagery, as you're going to see, to a, like a prison. Watch. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. <laughs> so he, 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 he leaves us in darkness. Remember Psalm 23 is he brings us out of darkness into light. But here the, the, the poet, the man, he's just like, he leaves us in darkness. And, and, and this is actually a torture device the, the Assyrians uh, perfected. They were the world power before Babylon. And, and what they would do, kind of Edgar Allan Poe-like, is they would put you alive in chains and they would begin to build thick walls around you and leave you there till you died. And nobody could even hear you cry. So this is what he's saying God has done to him. He's pretty low, right? Pretty low. And now he begins to describe God like wild animals. Look, 
He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. And of course, the Babylonian army who God has used came to town and destroyed them so badly that that's how they feel, like carnage after a wild bear or lion has pounced. And now, he's a hunt, God is a hunter. He bent his bow and he set me as a target for an arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. For those uh, Hebrew language, the kidney was a lot like we might use the word heart. It was the center of the being. And so, in other words, what he's saying is every time God shot me, it was a bullseye hit. Never missed. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has, he has sated me with wormwood. Like that's a bitter drink. It's like everything is mockery, bitterness, depression. I'm a prisoner. I've been ravaged by bears and lions. I've been left for dead in the ground. I've been shot bullseye by the hunter. Like all these metaphors to describe. And he finally kind of just lands at, at, at rock bottom. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. Anyone ever tried that? I mean, if I'm on the beach and I actually get a little sand in my mouth, I start to freak out, right? He's like so low, so humble that he's, he's got gravel in his, in his mouth. And he made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. And there's the first time he mentions God. That's on purpose. When he finally gets to rock bottom, where he can't even, have, some of you probably can relate to this. I hope not many of you, but if you've gone through a time of grief so dark or depression so deep that you can't even remember what it feels like to be happy, that's where he's at. Hopefully we're not there. We can relate somewhat to this in our life, but that's as, that's as, as, as low as it gets can't even remember happiness. And he basically says, look, my endurance is gone. I have no strength. And my hope, it's gone. That's his lament. That's what he's saying to God. Right now you know why you don't hear this much in church, right? And someone walks in and is like, whoa, I was looking for some uplifting message today. But it gets there. But the beautiful raw honesty about this is you've been there or you will be there and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Because God will lift you up. Watch what happens here as he, as he begins to, to still describe. He, he, he's kind of describing his rock bottom. But it's like almost like he's on rock bottom and he's, and he's trying to remember what it was like to be happy. I'm trying to remember. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gale. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So in other words, as he's trying to remember something good, all he can think about is the pain and, and, and the darkness and the pit and the depression and the, the rock bottom, right? And so this is the experience of hopelessness, all right, that we're about to see some of the greatest verses that Christians know and love. This is the context of them, the deepest rock bottom pit, prison, grave, right? And this is how we might feel. Now remember, it's um, it, it, from the first lament is this was brought on because of their sin. 
All right? And so sometimes we are in these situations because we have sinned. Right? We've blown it. And a lot of that is shame that we, we feel. Like God has abandoned me because I've totally blown it. Sometimes we're here. This is similar to Judah. Because so many others have sinned. You know, maybe abuse. You think of children who have lived in homes where the parents have just, have just sinned so bad that they suffer such consequences for their parents' sin. Right? The, the, the darkness of that. So there's, there's all of these situations that we can, can get into, and sometimes it's not our sin, it's not other sin, it's just the brokenness of a sinful world, the already not yet, waiting for Christ to come. The, 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 all that he's going to make new hasn't happened yet, and so here we are, and so there's things out of our control. There's things in politics, there's things in, in nature that happen. There's, there's people we love who, who we lose, and, and there's that kind of grief, and all of this stuff can put us in these types of pits where we don't know what to do with it, right? And so this teaches us it's okay to lament. It's okay to tell God what you're feeling, right? Because saying I have no hope, it's not theologically correct, remember from last week, but that's okay because it's how you're feeling. So tell God he's big. He can take it, right? He can take because if you just lie, what's the point of that, right? So what does, what are we to do though when we're in that place? And some of you are in there to some degree right now, and if not, praise God, you're in a good season. You know it'll come. Hopefully not this bad, but it'll come. The season of the pit, the where are you, God? I don't understand why this is happening. This doesn't make sense, right? I know you're sovereign, but are you sovereign? Right, that kind of prayer. You, if you're not there now, you will be. So that's why it's so important to learn, to, to lament. So what does the man do? And in this verse, verse 21, is maybe the most important for you tonight. So tune in. Verse 21. He, he just said, remember, he, he, he just, uh, let me bring you back there. He, he just said, my soul continue remembers it, bow down within me, and before that, I have no hope, right? So my hope from the, the Lord is gone. And so then he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What's the deal with the schizophrenic spirituality here. All right? He just a few lines ago said, there's no hope in the Lord. And now I call to mind this, and therefore I have hope. And, and sure, if you're doing an intellectual Bible study, you're like, this guy shouldn't be in the Bible. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. But that's what's beautiful about this. It's so messy because it's real, isn't it? And one day, you're like, I'm full of hope. The next day, I got no hope. The next minute, I have hope. I don't have hope, right? And, and you're like, what is wrong with me? Well, you have a biblical answer. You're just like him, right? That, that, that what, but what I really want you to see, a couple things. First of all, but this, and that word this is going to be described in the next several verses that we're going to look at. So this, he hasn't described yet. There's something that he calls to mind. And, and that, what I love about that is to call something to mind. That is an act of the will, right? Is a lot of this is feelings, yes. And you feel abandoned by God, and you feel like it's hopeless, and you feel like he's your enemy, and it'll always go on like he's beating you, like you're just a, a sheep, right? And, and you feel that. 
But calling to mind is purposefully and an act of will saying, I will call to mind this and have hope. I will call to mind, right? The, the, the picture is of somebody who's in that pit and, and, he's, and he's feeling hopeless, but then he just kind of looks up, right? And he just, maybe it's, it's a rung of a ladder and it's rusty and he can barely see it and he barely has strength, but he said, I will, I will look up. I will, it's hard as it is and I don't see it, I don't feel it, but I will call to mind this. And so what is the this? The this is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it's, it's not the guy on the mountaintop in the sunset going, great is your faithfulness, God. I just got married and it's just had a baby and it's beautiful. That's not this. This is the pit. This is, I don't even feel you or see you or I don't even know if I want to, but I will call to mind that you are faithful and that you are steadfast in your love. That word um, love in English is a different word in the Hebrew. It's hesed. And maybe if you remember a number of years ago now, we talked a lot about hesed when we did uh, the book of Ruth. And Boaz had hesed for Ruth. It's a love. That's why you see it kind of, um, uh, you see, with the, the, the word, the steadfast love. Trying to, to help you understand. It's a different kind of love. It's a loyal, steadfast love. So, uh, maybe this will help. If I were to say to you, um, picture in your mind uh, a husband and wife who are just madly in love. And you'd let an image come to your mind. And a lot of people might see a happy husband and wife who are kind of young and in their prime, you know, holding hands on the beach or Valentine's Day dinner with rose petals and filet mignon and wine and, oh, isn't it great? And you know what? Those are great pictures, and that can be pictures of love, but that's not Hasid. Hasid, on the other hand, is this. Hasid has been married 65 years. We've had those beach walks. We've had those dinners. We've had a lot of painful times too. And now my wife doesn't even know who I am because of dementia. And yet I will love her. I will choose Hesed. Right? And so when you see the, the, the pain of the poet, the man, to say, I will call to mind your Hesed. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I might not feel it, but I know it. I know the Lord has always loved. He will, and he's promised. Whereas people, he has promised. And so for the Christian, right, for us to look back now, or this is Old Testament, but for the Christian, the, the greatest example of God's hesed for us is the cross of Christ. Right? The, 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 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So if you believe in him, you don't perish, you have eternal life. That, that while Christ died for uh, uh, us when we were his enemy, we were running, we were spitting in the face of God. We didn't care about God. We didn't believe in God. We didn't want God. And he sent his only son to die for us. And so no matter what pit we're in, we could call to mind that hesed. 
that God loved us so much that he sent his only son for us. Is he going to leave us now? Is he going to abandon us now? Is he going to say, ah, Jamie, you're just such a screw-up. I really thought you had potential. Well, look at you. Right? Is he really going to do that? Even if I feel that way sometimes and I might be lamenting, I will, as an act of will, call to mind that the Lord is hesed, right? Steadfast love. And that his mercies are new every morning. Who's heard that expression before? Right? Most of us. His mercies are new every morning. It's beautiful. It's actually um, a, uh, it's kind of a picture of parents and their kids. Especially if you have babies or toddlers, they can be hard, hard work, can't they? Sometimes you're like, the whole day is really long and exhausting because you get them up, they get you up usually, and you change them, and you play with them, and you, if, if you're me, my whole win was don't let them die, and that was a win, right? And so you're just trying to figure out, what do I do with these kids? I feed them, I change them, I, I don't let them run out in the road, and it's like all day long, and finally, if you're fortunate and favored, they go to sleep, Right? And, and so you're like, oh, right? And, and if you're the kid and you can actually do this and have this perspective, or the baby, you can look up and you know you're set. You're good because your parents got you, right? They take care of you. Their mercies are all over you. And here's the thing. You go to sleep, and when you wake up, it starts over again. The mercies are new every morning. And so every time you wake up, you can look to God and know that he will care for you. He looks at us sometimes like we look at our toddlers. Are you serious? But his mercies are new every morning, right? And so this is what he's calling to mind, right? That the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him, right? Bracketed, again, like those after he says, I have no hope, he's now said twice, I will hope in him. This isn't a feeling of fluttery feelings that, you know, oh, I heard this song and I felt so hopeful. No, no, no. This is the darkness. This is like, I don't feel it, but I'm clinging to it, God. I'm going to cling to it. Like that woman who dove after Jesus, right, needed healing and clung to him. That's what this, a picture of this is. I will remember you are great in faithfulness. You are steadfast in love. You are hesed. You are mercies are new every morning. And you've promised. And I, and I will call this to mind. And I will have hope in my hopelessness. Right? That's the ironic thing. It's not very theological to have hope in your hopelessness. But that's what's happening here. This isn't a Bible study. This is, this is real, like, this is like raw life. Hurt, pain, depression, struggles, right? And so if, if you're in a good season right now, we all have some frustrations, right? But let's face it, COVID has brought even some blessings for some people, right? No longer have to travel for work, and they're, they, they get to see their family all the time. They're still getting paid, and they're probably like, you know what? I don't want to admit it, but I kind of like it, right? So maybe you're in a good season of life, good season of marriage, good season with, you know, your kids or school or whatever it is. Don't ever be ashamed of that. That's a beautiful thing. That's a gift from God. But do two things. One, write that down somewhere or remember it somehow, however you do that. 
that, that, that how much God has blessed you in this season. Because around the corner somewhere, and I hope it's in the future, well in the future, but around the corner is going to be a time of a pit where you're tired, you're frustrated, you're upset, you're fearful, you're sorrowful, you're grieving. It will come. And so one of the things you can call to your mind during that period of hopelessness or period of depression is to, is to remember this time. Call to mind the cross and what God has done for you. He's not going to leave you now. Right? And, and so we, if we are in that season right now or in what uh, part, of, you know, some level of it, we can, as an act of will, say, the Lord is my portion. I can have hope in the hopelessness. And so the, the, the question then, Jamie, okay, that's, that's great, um, but I, like, how do you actually go about doing that? Well, the man does. He shows us, even in the, the, the lament. Watch verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait. Can you say that for me? Wait. Say it again. Ah, that's good. That's good. How many of us like to wait? Don't raise your hand. You don't like to wait. No one likes to wait. We want it now. That's not the answer, is it? The answer is hope is for, the good is for those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Now, wait a minute. You're waiting for God or you're seeking God? Which is it? Both. You seek him while you wait for him. That's key. Don't just wait. Oh, I'm going to wait over here, God, and do my thing, and you just let me know. That's not how waiting is, right? And it's also not seeking like, right now, right now. It is waiting and seeking at once, right? It it is good that one should wait quietly. God's sick of your yammering. No, that's not what it means. We lament, then we're quiet, right? For the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Okay, the yoke again. Thanks, Brundage. All right. Third straight one, we have this word, right? We had the yoke of sin. We have Jesus saying, my yoke, when you're yoked to me, it's light and it's easy. But now we have this yoke. And, you know, if you read Jeremiah 38, that's why many think Jeremiah wrote this, because he actually is an object lesson. You think I'm crazy. He walked around in one of these things, yelling at everybody that this is Babylon and you better get used to it. I mean, that's some serious, no wonder why they didn't, they thought he was crazy, right? And so he, he kind of used it as an object lesson. But what, he's, what the, the, the man is saying here is that it's actually a good thing for this kind of judgment of God or these things to happen when you're young because you learn from them, especially if you sinned like these people did. So if you're right now in a period of dealing with consequences of your sin, don't make excuses and don't run from it. Confess it recognize God is good and learn from it so you don't do it again, right? And, and that's why he means that. But backing up to, to, to what he, his, his strategy is, is what? Call to mind his faithfulness and his mercy and his promises, but quietly wait for him. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. So humble, not gaining revenge, not seeking revenge, but instead, how do you, um, how do you call to mind the steadfast love of God and the mercies that are new every morning? And so the picture is um, this idea 
of actually waiting on God, seeking him in the silence, right? And so uh, let's call it the silent seeking of God. That there is a discipline that uh, we've sort of lost, and that is being quiet before God. Be still and know that I'm God. To, to be quiet and yet seek at the same time. Uh, we've all been there, right, where we're in a group, and there's that person who never stops talking. And they're always talking about themselves, and whenever you start talking, they're kind of looking around like they don't really care, right? And if you don't know that person, you're probably him. No, I'm just kidding. You're not that. You're in here listening to a sermon, so it's probably not you, because you'd be out preaching somewhere. That's what those people do, right? So if it might be me, all right? Uh, but but the, the, the point is no one likes it. You really think God wants that? Like, it is, it, we have our time to pray, our time to lament, to cry out. We've seen that, and we will see it again and again. But there's this idea here that just says a, a, a process of silence. So I have my device here, right? This represents distraction. We have to have time in our life where we put those over there, right? And I understand, you know, depending on our lives, some people that have kids that are running around, there's only so much you can control. But whatever you can control, as far as distractions, you put them away, and you actually sit down. It's good to have the word in your lap. Maybe it's, if you're not feeling good today, it's Lamentations, it's one of the Psalms of Lament, it's Job. I don't know, whatever it might be, whatever scripture reading is for, for today, and let God speak to you through his, his word, but you, you breathe. Let him talk to you. I know we start getting weirded out, right? We start thinking about what we got to do today. We say, and it takes time. That's why it's a discipline, right? In the beginning, it might be, seem really crazy for you. Maybe you can only do it for five minutes, but do it. Say, God, speak to me. Speak to my heart. What? And maybe he'll encourage you. Maybe he'll um, convict you. Maybe he'll remind you of something, oh man, it's a good thing I did that, I forgot all about, I don't know, right, God does all kinds of those types of things when we wait in our seeking, right, or we seek him in our silence. I've been, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've been using this new app called um, the One Minute Pause, and it's not for everyone, but I found it really good. Some of it's praying, some of it's waiting, and John Eldridge actually does it. He brings you through it. It works its way up to 10 minutes, and I really love it because I can just take the pressure off, kind of pray, but kind of just sit and, and wait, and sometimes I fall asleep, and it's beautiful. Sometimes that's what God says. You need a nap, Jamie. You know, go to sleep. But he's going to reveal things to you. He's going to answer questions. And when you're lamenting and you're, you're trying to figure out, from what do I do, that, that you seek him in the silence. If you don't have a, a, a practice of doing that, try it, right? Just try it. It's, take the It's just you and God. Don't be, you won't have to be embarrassed. or like, huh, my mind just wandered. It's okay. Bring it back. Put some music on. Probably not heavy metal, but, you know, it's up to you. Probably some, you know, slow kind of just so you can get in the zone of just, ah, I want to hear from you, God. I want you to speak. I want you to give me counsel. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need, like, I just need to feel your presence. I just, you know, maybe you sing, you know, it, it, whatever it might be. But this idea of how does he call back to mind who God is, what he's done, and what he's promised, he does it silently, but seeking God, right? The silent seeking of God. Okay, so 
we're going to practice some of that in a bit. And we, we're going to read through the rest of it with very little comments. Because what I want you to see now is, remember it's the middle. So you had all those metaphors and then greatest I faithfulness, right? And we're going to still see some of that here. But then it's going to start to dissolve back into hopelessness. Again, it's beautiful and it's messiness. That's what happens. Sometimes we're feeling, yes, you're, you're, you're faithful, God, right? You have that moment, and you're just like, that was great. That was powerful. I listened to God, and then like two hours later, you're in traffic, and you're like, I hate my life. What happened, God? I'm so horrible. No, you're a human being, and you're going through these things, and you're processing them, and he gives us in Lamentations 3, he gives us this space where we can do it. Okay, so it's, it, it continues positive, right? It says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, that is hesed, right? For he does not afflict from the heart, grieve the children of God. God, God does not enjoy grieving us. Like he has to judge, and in this broken world he is redeeming in his times while we're waiting on him, but... He's not taking this great joy in watching us go through these times, even when it's our fault. The cross is the perfect uh, answer to that. He doesn't enjoy it. He, he gave us the way out, right? And, and, and so verse 30, 34, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in the lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. In other words, God is just, <laughs> Like, I believe, no matter what I'm going through, God, you are just. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain? A man about the punishment of his sins. (laughs) He says that while complaining. It's great. As he's lamenting, who should complain? It's pointless as he complains. That's me. That's why I love this so much, right? And, 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 and he's just saying here, he's humbly saying, you're sovereign, God. Like, I don't understand any of it, but I know you're God. Like, you, nothing happens without you saying so. And he says in verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That's repentance, confession again. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven like, that's a tough one. You have not forgiven. So either they haven't actually repented, and he's calling the people to repent, or they just haven't felt or experienced God's forgiveness. And this particular situation is going to take 70 years for God to bring them back, right? And so they're waiting on, on that. But he believes that forgiveness will come. He says, you have wrapped yourself, and here's where it starts to dissolve. You have wrapped yourself with anger, pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer could pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. There's your life verse for you, right? This was my text this this week from Brian. Really? Scum and garbage among the peoples? Another coffee cup verse. I said I was going to make t-shirts. I didn't have time. And wouldn't that be great? Like front, front, it says, uh, you've made a scum and garbage among the peoples, and in the back, great is thy faithfulness. Wouldn't that be a good one? 
right? We can sell those, all right. But we'll have to have those made. Okay, so that, that, he, he's just dissolving. He's like, he's like see, he, he's upset as we're going to see now. He's he sort of come to grips with God is just and God is doing this. But who he used, the Babylonians and the, their neighbors, like the Egyptians and the Edomites who just mocked them, they still need judgment. <laughs> like they, and, and that's true. God, God will judge them. Watch, watch what he says. And um, verse 46, all our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Right? He's, he's coming to the, that understanding God is good, but his enemies, no way. And he's right. They aren't good. And God never gave Babylon the excuse. He just used their evil to punish his people but then he would judge them, which he did, using Persia. My eyes, uh, he says, my, my eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. And so now he comes, verse 52 to the end, is this section where it's almost can be a little bit confusing, but I don't think it is. It's, it's him calling to mind, the man, a, a situation in his life where he was in such a pit and he cried out to God and God answered. And so it's a testimony now sort of to himself, but to all of the people along with us today, right? This testimony is, this is the hesed, the faithfulness, the mercy of God, right? So he, he says in, in verse 52, I have been hunted like a bird. Those who were my enemies without cause, they flung me alive into the pit and cast stones at me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. That's why some people think this is Jeremiah. Because if you read in Jeremiah, this actually happened to him. He was thrown into a cistern, and they just left him there. And they covered it over. And so if this was Jeremiah giving a testimony, it would be, probably be that event. But again, we don't know for sure. But it's something like that. And the most important aspect is what happened. As he's in that cistern, that pit, left for dead, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. So this is what he's calling to mind, remembering this time. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. And that, he's, remember that time in the pit that the Lord drew close, and now he's using it as a testimony that says he is faithful. He will care for us. He will save us. He's the Lord. He always saves, right? That, that's what he's doing. And, and then he ends with saying, because of that, you have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Now, I admit, that's a weird faithful prayer, but it is. You will destroy our enemies. I know it. Because he will, because he's a just God, and he has promised to do that. You read the Old Testament, God is always saying, I'm going to judge the nations for their rebellion, their sin. And, and, and so he, he doesn't feel it now, the taunts of the enemies, but he's, he's like, I cling to that hope that you will judge 
right? And so this is what we call a faithful lament, all right? And so here's what I want us to do, as we're going to do throughout this series, as we've already done the last two weeks, is I want us to practice, okay? So our, our, our team's going to come back up, um, and, and I want to do a, a couple a little practice sessions with you because my prayer and my goal for this is not to learn about lamentations, but to learn how to lament biblically and appropriately, okay? So... So the first one I want to do is going to be similar to one we did two weeks ago. And this is going to kind of go in conjunction with that first several verses that we looked at tonight. And that is to tell God how we feel. To be honest. If you're feeling good, you're feeling good. Like I said, that's good. Praise him for it. Good time of thankfulness then. Right? Okay, that's not a lament, but you know, don't lament if you're not Feeling lamentful, if that's not a word, I don't know, but let's tell them how we feel. And I'm going to, again, a short prayer so corporately we can cry out to God, and then I'm going to give you um, a little bit of space for you just to quietly tell God what you're experiencing. What are your laments? What are your frustrations right now? Okay, let's, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Or don't, if that's uncomfortable. We always say bow our heads, but... That always makes my neck feel bad, so feel free to lean back or just don't fall asleep. Father, we, we come before you, Lord. We feel tired, physically tired, mentally tired, emotionally tired. Some of us, Lord, tonight, we feel stressed. Stressed about the world, stressed about the stuff going on around us, stressed about pandemic, people that are sick or loss of job or trying to accomplish things, ministry, church, we're stressed, Lord. We're fearful, Lord. We try to put a good face on, Lord, but we have fears in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning about where this is all going or what you're doing in this. And we acknowledge and we admit that sometimes, Lord, we, we feel like you're not on your throne. That How could this be your will? We, we believe it in our minds, but it's not always our experience. Lord, we're frustrated. And at times we feel hopeless. We're fearful for our future. We're feel fearful for our country. We're fearful for our family. We're fearful for our children, our grandchildren. Father, we're missing so many people that we cannot see. We miss them, God. Father, we also lament to you and we we turn back to you. We confess to you, God. Confess to you our sin, our lust, our anger, boredom with you and fascination with the world. We confess to you our gossip, our bitterness, our laziness. Confess to you, God give it to you. We just cry out to you, God, no matter what we are experiencing or feeling. We ask you to help us as we sit 
think about you. In Jesus' name. Take a minute or so and just tell God how you're feeling. Just be honest. Might be a time to lament to him or thank him or could be a time of confession of sin. feel free to keep doing that, but I want to take a minute, still with your eyes closed, um, to do something that's not easy for us, and that's sit in silence. You don't need to pray or say anything. Sit there and focus on him. Call to mind his faithfulness. If you say anything, it's something like, God, what do I hear from you? God, settle my heart, my mind, speak to me what I need. If you need to remind us of blessings, Lord, do it. If you need to convict us of sin, do it. We pant after you. We desire your presence, Lord. We need your counsel. We need to hear from you. Again, you can keep going with that, but hopefully you'll practice that at home if you don't already. That discipline of silence before God. This last time together here, I want to. I want us to 
bring our focus on the faithfulness of God, to call to mind. So again, I'll pray and give you personal space to do that. Father, despite where we are at and times of lament, we want to tell you we know you are faithful. We know you're in control. We know you're on your throne. God, you have a plan and it will work for those who love you. We are reminded of the gospel today, Lord. You sent your only son to die for us. And we believe. Lord, I pray that if anyone is here has never done that, that this would be their moment. They cry out, Jesus, save me. That I believe you died for me, Jesus. Lord, I pray you will call to mind to everyone here when you blessed us and that we might know your love is hesed. It is steadfast. And your mercies are new every morning. Oh, Lord, you will redeem. You will restore. You will heal. And we trust you with everything. In Jesus' name. Take personal time to let God remind you of his faithfulness. Times maybe in your life where he's been faithful to you or just look at the cross think about gospel his promises Why don't you um, stand with us and we're going to close with what do you think? Great is thy faithfulness. Let's sing together.